Tom Savage of Three Red Kings. Tom, um, lots to talk about in tonight's podcast, but we'll start with uh, matters on the Pro 14 domestic front. Munster making it seven wins from seven with an absolute trouncing of uh, Zebra last night at Tone Park. Yeah, I, I, you know, I thought Zebra did okay, given that they had a lot of guys called up to international level quite quickly. They have a fair few injuries. A lot of permit players coming in from the uh, Italian Domestic League. I thought they did well enough. They came with a very big pack, arguably a tight seven with the size of the fellas that they had there. Um, and they played a physical game, competed well at the lineout, but they had nothing for Munster ultimately. Uh, and I think that Munster's win was very comfortable. It was, you know, the kind of game where you would just see, you know, Munster, anytime they wanted to turn up the heat, they were able to do so and uh, scored their tries. You know, got a few highlights in for the end of the season. You know, overall finished very strongly, I thought, uh, with some really good performances from younger players. I suppose, Tom, the, what has been the most pleasing aspect of what we've seen from, from Munster this season in, in your eyes? I mean, look, they have been really easy on the eye. They've been racking up tries, racking up wins. Um, it's, you know, you'd almost be kind of lulled into thinking, um, you know, back in that this Munster team are heading in the right direction. You know, um, we, we don't want to get too carried away. And, and we would have to question, I suppose, the level of the opposition across the Pro 14. That may be an entirely separate uh, issue. But, you know, you can only beat what's in front of you. And at the moment, Munster are, I think, 16 points clear, 32 points uh, on the moment, 16 ahead of, of second place, you know this is the kind of situation that Munster have been trying to engineer for so many years. We finally seem to be in the driving seat with it. Uh, and, it, you know, it, 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 it's, this is, I think, probably the biggest season in Johan van Kran's tenure at the, at the province. Yeah, uh, they needed a good start this year. You, you look at the last three seasons, uh, the first two seasons in the same conference as Glasgow uh, and last season with Edinburgh, Munster were kind of undone by disappointing enough performances at the start of the year every single time. At Glasgow, you know, in those two seasons that we were in Conference A, they extended their lead pretty early and then just kept it for the rest of the of, of, of the tournament. That just seems to be the way to do it. Edinburgh did broadly similar last time out, even though Munster ended up losing out by, you know, what was it, for the sake of one, one game and one lifted goal padding. Um, but you look at... Um, how Munster have performed, you take into account the quality of the opposition, but you've got to put context on that as well. You look at Munster's performance against uh, Scarlets at the, at the opening day of the season. That was a very strong Scarlet side with, with, with much of their test players. The performance against Edinburgh a week later, again, while you know not the most perfect performance from Munster, it was against quite a strong Edinburgh side. Then against quite a strong Cardiff Blues side. And since then, since the test window opened, the teams have started to get a little bit looser. You know, the, you know the, the the opposition we've been playing have been going pretty deep into their depth charts. Munster have dispatched them pretty handily. But you look at some of the conditions that Munster had to play in, some of the results they picked up all the while, that to me shows progress. And to be 16 points clear at this stage in the league, is invaluable because now Munster go into the Interpro season where there are three games against uh, Leinster, Ulster, Connacht. If Munster can come away with a, a, a you know at least one or two wins out of that series, then 
they will be absolutely flying it coming into the the last block of the season, you know, because at that point it'll be during the Six Nations. We're we're not sure what the Pro 14 looks like after the end of January, but if Munster can just pick up, like they they, they aren't under pressure to get win after win after win after win. They've given themselves that bit of wiggle room that we've seen when you earn it early in the season tends to end with you finishing top of the conference, which is which is what Munster want. They want to get that home semi-final, which, you know, ideally by the time it's played, we'll have a full house at Thoman Park once again, hopefully. And you have, um, you know, or hey, or Mosrev Park. And you look at, um, you look at the, uh, just the way that they've been playing. Yes, the opposition at times have been, you know, pretty stretched and, and pretty deep into their depth chart. But I've loved the coherence of what Munster have been doing. There is a depth to it. There is a comfort in the system that you get after playing within it for you know the guts of uh, over a year now, where guys look comfortable, forwards look comfortable handling the ball, and the tries that that monster are scoring, we haven't been scoring tries like this. Uh, and look, yes, you, you you take the opposition into into a in, into context, and these next three weeks will be incredibly challenging for this group, but everything that we've seen so far looks pretty good. Whether it's an indicator of what's to come, we'll have to see. Yeah, and I suppose the other thing that we're touching on there as well is that, you know, the Munster can afford a dip in form, but you're also going to be relying on teams like the Scarlets, Connacht and Cardiff Blues to, if they are to catch Munster, to string together a, a huge series of consistent wins. And that's something that they have not looked like doing in the opening half of this season anyway. So, I mean, Munster really have put themselves in, in a fantastic position. Tom, some of the young lads uh, from Munster have really, really stepped up as well this season. I mean, Craig Casey goes without saying, Ben Healy, who uh, there has been some, uh, how would we put it, uh, rumours going around at the moment, but we yeah. can, we'll we put those to bed later in the fiction section mm-hmm. of the podcast. But um, the young guys have stepped up. Oh, they really have. I was struck last night when Craig Casey came on for five minutes at the end. Was he looked, he looked like the, he looked like the elder statesman, like the guy he, who was. Good. He had the vibe of a of a monster captain coming off the bench. That's what I just got the impression of. Where everybody started to come a little bit alive when he was on the field. That's a very good sign in a young player. I look at Gavin Coombs, how he has performed this season, looking like a, a seasoned international or a guy you'd sign from abroad and be thinking, "Geez, we got a good return from him uh, during the test window." He's been performing incredibly well. Last night was a little bit more low key for Gavin Coombs, considering he's been scoring hat-tricks and multiple tries per game, but still had one fantastic assist and offload to Damien Delende, had a fantastic pass out the back that, honestly, I don't know what other big ball-carrying forwards in Ireland are throwing that pass and completing it. His handling is superb. Um, He has been fantastic, and he looks all set up now to have a very big middle block of the season as a key player for Munster, because that's what he's been since the start of the season, since he's come into the squad, he's played in the second row. He's played at six since he's come in and, 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 and nailed down that role at, at eight, like a, a big power forward. He has done so well. And, you know, th- there's other young guys as well. Ben Healy has performed incredibly well, has looked so calm and composed. Uh, Tom O'Hearn last night coming on for his first start. Like I wrote it in the Wally ratings earlier. That was some Avengers tier stuff from him in that game where he was breaking after a little chip over the top of the defensive line. This guy's six foot nine. He's over 110 kg. And he was like the speed of him going up the middle of the field, 
leaving fellas for dead. Like he was leaving the support for dead. Like that's the like th- th- like that stuff. Like it, we look at it and go, you, you see it in a clip and go, oh, that's cool. Like th- that is not normal. Like that that is something that we used to before look at and go, geez, look, wouldn't be love to have freak athletes like that in Irish rugby. Tom Ahern is something else. Like at, at his height, at how how long he is, his wingspan is something else as well. He was fantastic in this game. Scored a try, showed a bit of physicality, a bit of aggression as well. A bit of pace um, for to collect that chip ahead as well, Tom. When 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 I saw the clip of that back today, I think it was one of your gifts. I thought you were after doctoring it to make his acceleration look a little bit better. But um, unbelievable! No. My God, like is in like that 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 alone is just freakish. But he showed off during the game. Really good footwork, really good power and contact, good defensive work rate as well. And you the, you flagged this guy as far back as the as the twenties. Uh, oh, but, but before yeah. like he was brought straight into the Monster Academy straight out of school and when immediately when you see a fella being brought in at, at that early you think geez there must be something to this guy but look at him I mean look at the time he was he was six seven plus he looks to have grown he's filling out his frame he's got a huge wingspan he used to play in the backs like his lineup work is developing the entire time like he is a special player. Like some of the highlights I saw from him from under at age grade rugby for for Ireland was doing stuff that like like you just don't see players doing at his size. You saw the the, the, the try he scored against Scotland under twenty earlier in the year, where he was like flying down the sideline, scoring a try, leaving fellas for dead. There's no limit to what this guy can do. Like if he if he avoids picking up nasty injuries that derail his progress. This guy is something else. Like, as in, if we were looking at RG Snayman breaking like that against Zebra, you'd be thinking, well, that, that that's what a world-class athlete does. But this guy, Tom O'Hearn, a fellow from Waterford, 20 years of age, 20, 21 years of age, still growing into his frame. My God, there's some potential. And he's not the only one. There's so many young lads there. Like, guys like Jack Crowley, guys like Alex Kendell and Scott Buckley. I think, was it Jack Daly said last, or yesterday in his interview, post-match with Munster with, on the Munster Rugby site said that uh, the power out of the young lads in year one, that they've not seen stuff like that before. Like, And I've seen Scott Buckley playing for Christians. I've seen Alex Kendellan and they looked like they looked freaky in school. And Jack Crowley, obviously, like you, you saw what he was doing for the Irish in their 20s. Like there are so many talented players coming through for Munster. Like Josh Witcherly last night, I thought scrummaged very strongly carried the ball very, very well, looked really, really good. There's a lot of young players at the moment at exactly the right time, putting their hands up for way expanded roles. Like like I said, I could see Craig Casey captaining Munster inside the next two seasons. Easily, easily. He seems to have that aura about him already. If you were to, if you were to look at a guy and go, out of, the, out of the fellas who are going to be captaining Munster in the next you know, two seasons on the field yesterday, who would you pick out as being an obvious choice? Craig Casey. And he's 22 years of age. He's only got what? He's still under 20 caps. What a player. Like, he was lucky enough to come away after a, a cowardly shot by Venditti last night that, that got a yellow card. Could have had a red. Like, honestly, I think you'd prefer to get a, a to get a, a, a like a punch in the face rather than, that, rather than to have some guy drop a shoulder on your standing leg and look to try and injure you, put you out for for a number of months. Yeah, there's there's there is or, no argument with that kind of a shot, Tom. Because absolutely not. It, you saw Billy Holland and, and the other lads getting stuck into this guy, yeah. saying it was a coward shot. Absolutely, look despicable, young lad. 
look, Vendy, he lost his head, obviously. I think he got rattled by Tom Ahern earlier in the game, was looking to try and, you know, try and put himself about. But that's not how you do it. That's a dog shot. You don't want to see fellas doing stuff like that. I prefer a fella throwing a slap, to be honest, than, go, than to go out and try and injure a fella putting him out. You'd see, like, you know, bin-tier clubs like Glasgow doing that against against um, Conor Murray a few years back and, you know, thinking they were fantastic for it. But we don't want to see that in the game. Like I said, I'd prefer, I'd prefer to get punched in the face every single time rather than have some fella dive down and try and take out my knee or my ankle. Yeah, uh, it was a very, very cheap shot. Um I suppose, look, Tom, 7 from 7 from Munster, can't argue with it. Um, the only real downer from last night was the injury to Matt Gallagher. And I suppose, look, when you look back at the at the signings that Munster had, the, you know, Gallagher, Sneeman and Dialende, to have four of them out, or sorry, to have two of the three out within the first four months, uh, obviously, we, we you know, from what we're hearing, the Sneeman is recovering well and, you know, they're... Are there is a possibility of him coming back this season, but you know you really want to, when when you have three signings coming in like that, you want to see the most out of them, and it's 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 terrible luck that we're sitting here talking about a guy who's who's going to be out for a bit as well now. Oh yeah, I, I thought Matt Gallagher has done very well at the start of the season for Munster. He looked very good, very athletic. Uh, you could you could tell last night in the replay, dislocated shoulder straight away, just the way it planted down, just because he was kind of caught in a little bit of a seatbelt tackle. When the elbow plants down like that, I've done it myself. You know straight away, bang, gone. Who yeah, knows? It's collarbone or shoulder is kind of yeah, usually like, one or, one like or... that could be two or three months easily. Uh, he's been very good. I think he was very close to being a guy that you'd start against Quinns. But you know what? Uh, the next guy will have to come in. It's, a, it's, it's you know, and Munster, I think if they're looking at any area where they have a lot of talented players at the moment, it'd be in the back three. And uh, they're going to have to come in Shane Daly is, come, is going to come back in now, you know, and, and have a go. I, I, I like the way that, um, you know, that, that the young fellas have come in so seamlessly. They'll be needed to do again. Pity for Matt Gallagher because I've really, really liked him. I like what I, I, like what I, what I heard from him last week as well uh, in, in, the, in the presser. But yeah, disappointing. Hopefully he recovers soon. Yeah, and, and and look, I suppose look, we'll we'll park the monster stuff there for now and move on to the Aviva Stadium on Sunday afternoon. No, I was actually in Croke Park, uh, for the hurling, but I had the old trusty Sky Go app open and I was keeping an eye on the rugby. Um, Tom, it was it was terrible. Um, I suppose, but for the fact that you have to watch it for work, um, you certainly wouldn't have been watching it for the entertainment. Dreadful. Dreadful for most of the game. First half was quite was, was all right. There were some decent moments there. Second half was dreadful stuff. Um, I watched the game back three times at the end by the time I was finished. And uh, there was a, a few concerning notes there. Uh, you look at the Johnny Sexton today saying that the, the, the media don't really think, don't don't see the progress, but but they see the progress. I was just looking through some of the markers that you look that you look at to see how teams are performing relative to their peers. This upcoming game against Scotland is a huge game now, by the way. Uh, I just look at our, our Ireland's efficiency on the ball, very poor. Um, and that's something that that I think Sexton brought up today, that their use of their chances hasn't been what it needs to be. But that in itself is more of a problem than just, oh, well, we just didn't use our chances. Like a lot of the chances that were there were, they were kind of almost taken out before they had a chance to progress you know, you look at some of the stuff, you know, like uh, Billy Burns, I thought did well. 
I thought he I thought he played well in that first half. Look, mobile when Ireland's system that we'll be using a three two two or three two one, whatever you want to three two X as I call it. That's a system that it showed twice in that first half how well it would work. And I think Ireland were unlucky not to have a, to, to have one of those tries struck off because I think Jacob Stockdale's, I think that pass was flat. Uh, but that that was a system working exactly as it's supposed to work. But when you look at uh, the second half, abysmal stuff. Uh, I think Billy Burns going off early was a big factor. Ross Byrne is a good player. I, I, you know, he's a guy I've, I've criticized him the last two weeks, and I don't like criticizing guys. Uh, I, I felt that in this game, he played just very pedestrian stuff, and where his lack of movement, his lack of a breaking threat, his lack of mobility on ball. Sometimes it's about creating a little bit of lateral movement. Sometimes it's mixing forward movement towards the game line with lateral movement. So you're basically making it easier for the guys outside you to take ball with space. So you're looking to preserve space between defenders and extend it, if at all possible, so your guys on the outside have you know a chance to make a play. In, this, in the second half here, there was one or two decent moments from him. But for the most part, he was planting his feet and slinging the ball on. Like he wants to get the ball wide. Like the concept for a 3 2 X system to work is the ball goes wide, you get width, and then you stretch the defense back across the field and you use your layers of attack then to, you know, pick out good options. But if you're not producing, uh, if you're not preserving space rather on the outside for your guys, everything just looks that little bit slower. Everything looks that little bit. Like it, it, it looks like, well, why are the guys getting double tackled? Why is nobody getting over the gain line? Why does it all look so, uh, so slow? And why are there's why is there so many Georgian defenders at all times? Why are guys having to you know truck it up into contact even in the wide areas because they're being led onto the defenders? Like there's no threat in that middle space. So when the ball goes on, they just follow the ball. There's nobody getting stopped or getting staggered for a second. So that if you stop a guy for a quarter of a second. That quarter of a second of space on the outside is space that a guy like Keith Earls or Shane Daly or Hugo Keenan or Jacob Stockdale could power through and score a try or get the space where he can get in and throw an offload maybe and compress guys. But I, I, I watched the game a number of times and I lost count of the number of times I saw Ireland progressing across the field looking to get with, but Georgia just following the ball. That Georgia were running at the same time the ball was going and there was very few guys getting trapped in that middle space. And it, it seems like, oh, it's all Ross Byrne's fault. It, it isn't. I think there's there's lots of issues for Ireland here. I thought our lineup was very rudimentary. I thought our tactics at the mall were, to me, they just, it, 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 they seemed like they didn't take into account the strengths of the Georgian side. We were just trying to run them over all day, and we, we didn't. But England and Wales didn't even do that. And we're thinking we're going to do it. Look, there's lots of issues here. There's a, there's a couple of guys, like there was a, a lot of focus on Peter O'Mahony and other fellas like that before this uh, tournament started. Are they guaranteed starters? I was, I, I was the same thinking, look, would we bring in some other fellas? But I, I think like you look at the performances of James Ryan over the last number of weeks, is this, are, are these the performances of, of, of a cornerstone player? I, I still think he is. But his performances for me have fallen off a cliff. Yeah, there's been a dramatic, dramatic drop in form in the last few weeks. Now, look, it's 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 been across the board, really. To be honest with you, with mm-hmm. all, with, with with so many of the of the playing squad. Tom, are are, are we? 
are we expecting too much too soon from from this Andy Farrell side? Are are we are we impatient? I think look, the nature of of sports fans and media is to be impatient and to want to see results as quickly as possible. Um, you know, um, look, it's not for the want of application, but they just they they, they seem to be a bit rudderless at the moment. Yeah, like. I was expecting in this game, I was expecting to see a few a few nice scores. We saw one or two nice scores. Like the end score of 23-10. I mean, look, to, to come away with two tries, like if we were chasing bonus points in this game, I mean, Jesus. Like you want to see a bit of progression. You want to see the attacking system that we've been trying to bed in since, uh, since Schmidt left. You want to see lads showing a little bit more comfort in it. Look, Ireland are missing a lot of guys who I think would would certainly improve what we're trying to do nationally. Furlong, huge miss. Dan Levy still is a big miss. I know he's been gone for two years, but Ireland, we haven't looked as good as we did in that Six Nations 2018 campaign. Yes, England were without guys like Billy Vunapola that year. France were, were a basket case. But you look at how Ireland performed with Dan Levy during that 2018 campaign. That's the best we've seen Ireland play in the last decade where we were just physically dominant. Guys like Tyke Furlong and Dan Levy were huge factors in that. Like, you look at, uh, you know, we're missing Gary Ringrose is a big deal. Gary Missing Robbie Henshaw. Missing Johnny Sexton is still a big deal. Still very dependent on what Johnny Sexton brings. Fellas have been looking last year for scapegoats. How many times have you seen stuff in the media about, oh, Johnny Sexton, oh, Conor Murray, these guys need to go. It's not Johnny Sexton or Conor Murray that's the problem. It's that we are not imposing ourselves physically on teams the way that we need to even if you're going to play a slightly smaller style of rugby as we're trying to do, you need to start imposing guys physically. If you're not imposing them yourself on them physically, you need you need to be able to execute your system perfectly. Then, and we haven't been doing that. Uh, like we had a massive midfield, McCluskey and Farrell, fantastic guys for getting over the gain line. Like last week or in the second half, rather against Georgia. When things were starting to get a little bit sticky, I'd want to be seeing, look, let's start just getting those guys onto the ball over the game line. Let's start punishing these guys. We don't need to go too complex here with these. We've got two lads here who will get over the game line for you all day long. All night long, they'll do it. Hit them. Hit them up the middle. Instead, we're trying these, like like this, uh, at what point was it in the second half? We tried to do this little chip chase over the top of the line for, for Will Connors, the open side to chase through up the middle. And it's like, we were ch- we were chasing points at that stage. We were only, what, we were only 13 points ahead. An intercept, or we were only 10 points ahead, I think, at one stage. Like, an intercept try from, from Georgia, and all of a sudden, that's a game we could have lost. So you look at that and you go, like, maybe, so maybe some guys are forcing it. They're feeling a bit of pressure. Because, you know, I think they know Ireland aren't playing all that well. And that if there was, like, if there was crowds there for that game on, on Saturday... You can imagine some of the groans there would have been at times, but like it's it's not it's not terminal by any means. Like is indeed like it's not like this is a, a decline that's going to go on and on and on. I think getting some key guys back in would be hugely important. I think even adding Tyg Furlong back in would improve Ireland's ball carrying rotation, which would improve an awful lot. Like James Ryan is a concern. Like we've been over this before. Of, of, of I think we're just in a bit of a a rut really with, with regards to what is his best role and he's looking just a bit sluggish a bit like like there's almost too much responsibility being put on this guy already where like 
if sure I've been the same saying, oh, look, he's a guy who could captain Ireland for 10 years. Maybe it's too early for him. Maybe we're looking for him to be the the physical cornerstone of our pack, our line-out leader, our tight head lock for, for Ireland and Leinster to be, you know, to be one of the key guys for Ireland over the next while and captain as well. He was captain last week. And yeah, it's, it is a big ask in fairness. Do you know, it's, it's, I think there just might be a bit too much expectation put on this guy. Because like I said, we were talking about him like, oh, it'll, it'll be a Toji and James Ryan in the second row. Not over, not in the evidence of the last few weeks, it won't. In, the, in that Lions tour, I think he's I think he's fallen off a fair bit. And whether he needs to reset a little bit, there's a lot of expectation on him. He's come back from injury pretty quickly as well. This hasn't been a good restart for him. But look, I, I, I think that Ireland can certainly get it together. Uh, it you know, and, and Scotland will. There's there's going to be a bit of a fear factor there with Scotland coming in because like, if there's a loss to Scotland and a team who Ireland have been pretty much looking at and going, look, it's Scotland. We're going to beat these guys. That may well prove to be the case. But this is a game now coming up this weekend where a, a few guys are in that kind of weird position of, you need a big one. Yeah. James Ryan needs a big one. Ian Henderson needs a big one. Andrew Porter has been fantastic. He'll, he'll have to start again, I think. He's a guy who's so valuable to Ireland right now. I think he's been outstandingly good. Uh, but there's guys, they, they, they need to perform. And I think it's been a cop-out for a lot of media outlets to go looking at Murray and Sexton when they aren't the problem. That's looking to change the, the, the steering wheel on a car where the engine isn't fully right and the transmission's all over the place. We need to get um, a, a more comfort in system. The camps that the that the RFU have over the Christmas will be vitally important in bedding that in as well. But uh, yeah, it's it's at the point now where people have been relatively patient. There's no well, you'd see the odd head the ball calling for Andy Farrell to be sacked, Mike Cat to be let go, all this other stuff. I I I think I that's not for me. I don't think that's anywhere near reality. But they need a win this weekend, and then they need a good Six Nations. And if they don't, that then will only build pressure. A good Six Nations, Tom, is beating Wales, Scotland, Italy, and having a right competitive crack off of France and England. Is that at correct? Home. Yeah, it is. But like, even then, the pressure on those games because they'll be at home is a big factor as well. Like Ireland will need, like, as in Ireland have lost a lot of games to England recently, and they've not really even been close. Like sometimes in the scoreboard, they've we also have to remember too as well, Tom, that there's a lot of rugby to 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 happen between now and Six Nations. You know, Champions Cup rugby, which is as close as you'll get to test level intensity. So it's not like yeah, these guys have a chance to you know, it, you know that's why the Scotland game is is as much about a morale boost as anything oh, else. Yeah. So far, is that they can get this win under their belts, not finish this series with it with a defeat. And have at least something to take through into the into the Six Nations when we come out the other side of the of the Champions Cup and and the Pro Fourteen Christmas kind of schedule. So you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities for guys there to get their form back or to to get back into some sort of a groove. So it's not a case of everything isn't broken beyond repair right now. There is there is time to rectify it and to put ourselves in that position to and and, and you know sometimes I think too as well you see with the Irish provinces any of the times that they have been successful in Six Nations campaigns it has usually been on the back of being really strong, especially in those December, January fixtures in Champions Cup. So mm-hmm. there's there's still plenty of opportunities there for guys who might not necessarily be firing now to, to, to put that right. 
Oh, yeah. And look, and I think that, that Andy Farrell will know as well that one way to get a big bounce for himself and the team is to bring in a rake of new caps in the Six Nations. I think the talent is certainly there. Uh, you'd look at Leinster's pool. Northampton looked to be in a bit of disarray at the moment. So you look at that game and take it with a pinch of salt. But I think Munster of two... The game against Claremont and Harlequins are going to be two very big games. That Interpro game at the at, in three games' time against Leinster and Thomond is going to be a big game. That's a game where lots of those young Munster players and young Leinster players who've been performing very well will be looking and going, if I put a marker down here... It's a kind of a de facto Irish trial, really, isn't it? And look, it's been a while since it's kind of been that way. The last time you look at it and go, like, well, where a guy really upped his stock was... Dan Levy back in 2017, I think it was, where he came to Thoman Park and had an absolutely just a beast of a game. And it got into the Six Nations squad, not off the back of it, but he ended up kind of, you know, putting himself into that conversation. This is an opportunity now over the next three games for Craig Casey, for Ben Healy, for Gavin Coombs, for a lot of these guys, monster guys. And never mind like the likes of Harry Byrne or, you know, some of the O'Brien collective at Leinster or... Uh, you know, fellas like Scott Penny, uh, Ryan Baird, to come in and show what they're all about. Uh, Leinster have a bit of injury trouble at the moment as well. They've, they've picked up a few knocks to guys like Will Connors, uh, James Lowe, others. But, you know, they'll still be expected to perform incredibly strongly. And, and you look at how they've been playing in the in the, the Pro 14 so far. Uh, look, they, they haven't been playing the strongest opponents. Nobody has really. But they've been playing incredibly well. That's going to be a big game in three games' time where guys will say, look, I need to be in that Irish squad. And Andy Farrell, if he wants a- an easy way to boost his stock, it'll be giving debuts to Ben Healy, Harry Byrne, Craig Casey, Gavin Coombs, Scott Penny, getting these guys up and running. Because, you know, like if that, especially if, if that game to Scotland goes sideways, um, that's something that will get the vibes back going again. Because I think it's something that's long overdue. Because, again... We haven't spoken about it yet, but there's contracting issues that David Nusifora was speaking about, and it's it has the feeling of a of a of a a time of resetting coming. Yeah, it, it certainly does. Um, Tom, moving to other headlines, I suppose during the weekend, and and it's been a strange few days, stroke weeks for the uh, for for the Argentinian uh, nation, I suppose, in insofar as their their first victory over the All Blacks in what was a superb performance, going on to draw with Australia, the passing of Diego Maradona, and then uh, this week, uh, the re-emergence of tweets by Captain Paolo Matera from, I think, 2011-2012, racist tweets that, you know, really are indefensible, to be honest with you, and it has kind of thrown, it has really soured the the goodwill and I think some of the the positivity that's been around Argentinian rugby in the in the last uh, in the last couple of weeks evaporated completely um apparently this came from the back of the Pumas uh not paying tribute to Diego Maradona after his death that they were almost humiliated in a way by the respect that the All Blacks showed that that the Pumas did not make a make a, a display similarly uh, Diego Maradona is just a, a cultural icon in, in Argentina. For him to pass away, it's a huge deal. For that to go unnoticed or to or go on w- without you know r- remark from the Argentinian rugby side, 
it annoyed people. And it seemed that in off the back of that, people went looking through old tweets from a couple of these Argentinian players. And while they were a number of years ago, when he was 18, 19, the stuff there is despicable, absolutely indefensible. I've had a few people in my mentions today saying, hey, look, he was a young man or whatever else. I was just reading in the news there the other day about this this young fella in Kerry who was abusing Ian Wright. Like racist language and ra- like the sentiment across all of those tweets, not just from Matera, but the other dudes as well. That, that's horrible stuff, like indefensible. And like, I'm not on for this. Oh, he needs to make a big tearful apology on his social media and he needs to do this and that. Look, it's up to him if he wants to be perceived as a racist or not. And people will look at this and go and thinking, geez, he might not be a racist, but he certainly was saying incredibly racist things back in 2012 as a young man away in South Africa representing his country. Some of the stuff he wrote there was, again, just despicable. So it's not about apologizing to the world. You, do you want to be perceived that way? By what, 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 what about the next time he's playing the Springboks? What about the next time he's got to go back to Stade Francais and play with guys like McAlew in, in the back row, knowing that he said that kind of stuff, that, that kind of racist garbage? Uh, whatever about apologies, you know, he's got, he's, like, he doesn't have to apologize to me or you, but he's got to make sure that guys who he's going to be playing in the future and uh, teammates of his in Stade Francais just kind of make it clear that they're not playing with some degenerate racist, like, because... This is the stuff like where, look, it, it's it's unforgivable. And yes, it was brought up in the past in response to them not honoring Diego Maradona enough. But that doesn't take into account that they were still said. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's made mistakes in their past. But there's levels to this stuff as well. And racist remarks and stuff, they have no place in sport. They have no place in the modern world. So for me, I don't want to see any tearful apologies or any of this stuff. That to me is nonsense. If he's suspended, he's suspended. But... He's got to make clear, and these other fellas have to make clear to their clubs, to their to people who support Argentinian rugby, that this is not who they are. Maybe it was who they were. Maybe they're trying to be edgy or whatever else, but it doesn't matter what they were trying to do. It's despicable. It's not something that we want to see in, 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 in sport or in life. It's up to them now to show that that's not who they are because, again, it is just 100% not acceptable. Uh, one other thing that uh, is 100% not acceptable that we saw from that weekend's game was the hit from Tyrrell Lomax on the Argentinian player in, in the Rook late on in that game with the scoreline, I think, at 31-0. Uh, how in all sanity can a TMO look back at that shot and say, not a red card? Yeah, that like you look at... The All Blacks as a whole, as a as a cultural concept, right? There's the hacker, cool, you know. I like it. Some people don't. I think it's cool. You look at what, you look at what they've done for the game. All the great skill that we've seen from them down over the years. The the great teams, the great players, the highlights that we've seen. Um, but this is also the All Blacks, where when they lose a game to an opposition that they sh- they feel that they should not be losing to. They ramp up the physicality and they ramp it up beyond the line and they rely on the fact that generally they don't get punished for it. They did to, it in Ireland, in, in Dublin, I think, go oh. back. Uh, was it Simon Zebo? 
got yeah, uh, Simon Pinnock, Robbie Henshaw, yeah, absolutely yeah. brained as well during a during, and I think the likes of Sexton and uh, O'Brien had treatment meted out to them as well. Yeah. Just what the All Blacks do, and it's like everything else, you know, the whole sweeping the sheds, golfing this weirdly inefficient way of transferring their suitcases, <laughs> which they blasted all over their social media, pure performative guff, like, but this, like putting late shots on fellas, trying to hurt them, trying to put a marker down on them physically. This is the all blacks as well. It's just that we, we tend not to look at that because they win, they play lovely rugby, the hacker respect, blah, 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 blah. but this is the all blacks as well. Pay respect to you in the hacker and then try and, you know, try and bust you off on the field. Decapitate you. And sometimes above and beyond what is legal or right in the game as well. And yeah, like, but but okay, you know, it's 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 all very well and good to to blame the All Blacks, and they're certainly responsible for their actions. But Tom, why do we have TMOs at all? I mean, what, like, how, you know, it's 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 it really. At times like that, you'd wonder what what is the. It actually makes it look. If we had no TMO and that went unpunished, you could at least say that it wasn't seen. But the fact that it has been seen, the fact that they have the benefit of endless replays, and the fact there are no mitigating circumstances or no mitigating factors there whatsoever, you're kind of left scratching your head to go with this thing to say, you know, what's the point? Yeah, media, media pressure plays a part on tmos and referees as well especially in the southern hemisphere where the idea now that giving a red card produces an entire week worth but of should golf. should 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 the laws of the game not play put put more pressure on than than i mean the laws are set by world rugby they're not set by um by fox in australia they're not set by any of the broadcasters in 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 new zealand so why then are why are referees more conscious of what the reaction they will get in the media as opposed to a reaction or a negativity that it might get handed down from the referee's assessor i can't explain it i look at last week uh because i mean if if you're if you're if you're a refereeing assessor and you're sitting down with that guy to assess that game like the first thing you're going to do is you're going to go to that incident and say like what what why was that not a red like it should have been a red card like you look at the game at the weekend last weekend, Pro 14, Ulster and Scarlets, Kieran or Kieran Treadwell should have been red carded instantly. It was a bad tackle. He was cited for it afterwards and banned retroactively because they said it should have been a red card. Instead, the TMO is talking the referee out of giving a red card to the stage where Welsh fans are thinking that this is some sort of conspiracy because it was an Irish TMO doing it. I think it's much more much more clear that this guy is making an absolute bollocks of it making a bollocks of a decision for whatever reason completely wrong and and it's been shown to be wrong because he's been suspended uh, the the player has been suspended afterwards for what should have been a clear red card guys make mistakes but we're seeing a lot of this of, of guys who are kind of you know coming in and going well no we don't know we don't know now now are they being told look maybe we don't want to see as many red cards we want to maybe pull it back a little bit we, we don't want to have as many red cards we want to give people the benefit of the doubt if at all possible but at the same time... Yeah, but where does that balance up with the, this whole idea that we're trying to make the game safer, that we're trying to re- take head shots out of the game? It, there's, it does not... It, one does not square up against the other one. It just it doesn't. And I mean... It, it like, in, you, look at, you look at Lomax. And he, he went out there and he, like, he, he landed... He put a shot on your man. And he was looking to do it. Like, I don't buy that this was an accident or that he, oh, he didn't mean to do it. He was looking to put a shot on the dude. Let's be, let's be honest. Look, we, yeah maybe we've all done it once or twice you you leave a shot in the fella because you want to you know, you want to send a message to him 
you look at uh, that shot by Kieran Treadwell wasn't the same. It was just a bad tackle. It like and you, some people were saying that Rory Scannell should have been red carded last week against against Glasgow for a tackle that rode up high, hit the guy in the around the the, the jaw area and the chin area. I'm to be convinced over that. Like I mean, if he got a red card for it, you couldn't argue with it, but it, it wasn't pulled. Looked marginal. But it's just one of those things that we need, like, we need to start looking after players. And, like, if media pressure or whatever it is, or the idea of the spectacle of the game is causing people to think twice, and we need, we're in trouble. Like, you look at a, a moment at the weekend there in that England versus Wales game, a breakdown moment where Elliot Daly was lucky yeah. that he didn't have his, his, his knee turned into a chicken leg with the clear out coming in from the sides. Like I remember when this was all supposed to be stamped out of the game. We were talking about this a couple of months ago. Yeah, you had to come oh, through the, it had coming through the gate, coming square on, reducing the uh, the 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 velocity which guys could enter a rock. I mean like, yeah. The guy was flying off his feet. Clear foul play. You could make an argument that that's a red card in its own given the 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 the, the recklessness of yeah. it. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe guys are, are maybe they don't want to make big decisions. If they don't want to make big decisions, they shouldn't be there. If the TMO is actively talking a fella out of what a clear red card. Do you think as well though, Tom? And and we've seen some of this in in, in VAR in football as well. Is that sometimes if if the referee is asked by the TMO to rev- if the ref let's say makes an on-field decision and is then asked to review a decision, that there seems to be an, a, a, almost a, a perception or a preconception that if he's asked to review it, it's because he's made a mistake. I mean, a referee can review the evidence and decide against what the TMO is telling him. It doesn't he's, have to be led by him. You uh, get the I, sometimes that's what it is. Yeah. Where guys are sort of like, you might want to have another look at this angle there, Wayne. And they have a look then and going, oh, I see what you mean, kind of. Yes, we should definitely not red card this guy for whatever reason. A lot of people think it's conspiracy. I don't think it is. I just think it's guys making mistakes under pressure. I think it's guys who are, you know, they're out there trying to do the best they can, obviously. But, like, everybody makes mistakes. But you can kind of almost sometimes work yourself into a situation where, well, I've made the intervention. There was a moment last week in the, in the Munster versus Glasgow game where the assistant referee on the far side was looking at a, a bit of a scuffle between Danny Wilson and um, Finney Mitchell. And the way he was going on about it, you'd swear there was something, you know, something really untowards after going on there. They looked at the replay and it was a scuffle. It was a thing of nothing. The referee was sort of like, oh, not seeing all that much there. Uh, oh, I'll just give a penalty to Glasgow. Almost felt because he had to because the AR brought it to him. Like last week, you look, you look at, was it, was it uh, Poit dismissed something that the TMO brought him? Um because he was looking for, like, looking to see, was there a, a, a knock-on in the tackle? For me, it was a charge down, and it just seemed like, uh, look, I, I think media pressure does play a part in it, because you see these lads do get slaughtered in the aftermath of it if they make a, a bad mistake, so they almost want to kind of, oh, well, be doubly sure. And we've all been there, but you're kind of going, you're looking at something, you're looking at it, you're looking at it, and you're kind of going, well, maybe it's the other way. And if you're doing it live on TV <laughs> with, with people watching it and, you know, big games in the balance you can make mistakes but it's it's something that when it comes to player safety we i don't think we can be making these mistakes teams have to be punished in the moment for tackles and for foul play that's the only way that they'll stop um so it's just for me it's a uh yeah it's something that i think needs to especially when it comes to like clear foul play just give guys red cards that'll stop it there'll be there'll be media kicking up over it but there's media kicking up over everything anyway 
Yeah. Uh, Tom, just before we go, and in the fictional section of the podcast, uh, Murray Kinsella today, I think, at the 42, with a story that Glasgow were making an audacious raid for Ben Healy. I think not since the time of the Vikings has Limerick suffered from such pillage <laughs> and plunder. Um, fantasy, Tom? No, I, th- I, th- I think if Murray Kinsella is reporting it, that it's oh, true that, yeah. that Glasgow have made an offer. Yeah. But I try to apply critical thinking to this. The story came out after full time of the game yesterday. Um, I, I don't think that the story was arrived before, you know, in, in the couple of minutes after the game. I think it was something that an agent is, is using to put a little bit of fear there. Imagine if we lost this guy. Imagine if we lost this guy to Glasgow. Imagine if he went to Scotland and ended up being a top tier test player there. But, you know, I mean, it's possible. He could certainly decide to do that. Scotland, if, they, if, they, if it's true, they are offering him a cap. I would say, okay, look, that's a possibility. But I would kind of use, I w- I'd be also thinking, do I want to stay at Munster to be coached by Stephen Larkham or go to Glasgow to be coached by a, a newbie coaching setup on a team that's on the slip to be, you know, nominally a backup for Adam Hastings and look to try to break into a Scottish side. Look, I'm sure if Ben Healy decided to join there today and decided he was going to go there and he moved over in the summer, Scotland would more than likely try and cap him to get a get a capture cap on him. Um, but then you've got to look at, well, you know, do you want to play with your friends who you've won Irish Grand Slams with and who looks like you're going to do very special stuff at Munster? Where I mean, he's very close to being the starting 10 at Munster as is. Or do you want to go to a side in Glasgow that looked like their best days are behind them for the time being to move away from the coaching of Stephen Larkham to go to a new country to play for a mid-table Pro 14 team in the idea that you're going to play for what essentially still is a a mid-table international team? I mean, it's certainly possible. But for me, I think that Ben Healy is much better than this. I'm sure the contract details will get... And look, I I think David Nusifora talking about the uh oh we're waiting on the contracts that's going to be frustrating i know what the irfu are talking about they've got, oh, they've got to see what their funding is like and you know make sure they can offer fellas things over the next two or three years or whatever but if agents are being told we're not doing any contracting talk until december when most of the work is usually already done by now they're going to be going we need to start getting some fucking stuff together here because you'll be going you know what are we doing like they they will have offers, and I'm sure Ben Healy has had offers in from from Glasgow, maybe from other teams. I'm sure I'm sure lots of players have. The way David Nusifora is talking about, he's thinking that maybe we're going to lose some big players. I think it's certainly a possibility. But in this instance, I think it's certainly plausible that that Ben Healy could do that. But I, I'm not sure he'd be very well advised to do so. But I can see why the story was released. It certainly puts a bit of pressure on Munster and the IRFU. Because I think you can accept that there's going to be guys who are mid-tier guys who there'll be stories come out and go, well, this guy's got an offer from London Irish or from Gloucester or from whatever, or from La Rochelle or from Rast, you know, all this stuff. You could believe that. But the idea that, well, we'll contract the young guys, they'll be the fellas who who are going to be the next wave of players. If we start losing those players, that then is a problem, especially when David Nusifora says we want to focus on the young players. Explicitly, he said this. So look, I, I think look that this is more to do with contracts than reality. I'm sure the offer is real, but for me, I would not be looking at this as being something that is too realistic. Um, I mean, it's, like I said, it certainly could happen, but I'm not sure if that's the best thing for Ben Healy. 
but we'll see how everything plays out. There's going to be a lot of contract nonsense this year, I would say, where fellas are going to be pulling out uh, all manners of links to this this place, that place, in the hope of getting the deal they want. Uh, there's going to be a fair few people come away unhappy. Some, uh, sometimes it's going to be the IRFU and the, and the provinces. Sometimes it's going to be the player. We'll have to wait and see. Speaking of deals that people will definitely come away happy from, and that's your Patreon page, Tom. What are you going to be doing between now and uh, the weekend? That was that was slick. That was very slick. You can tell this guy's a pro. We uh, well, this week I'm going to be looking at Ireland's um, uh, set piece and attacking work in more detail. I've already looked at it on the on the Y ratings during the weekend, but I'll be looking at it in more detail. I'll be catching up with some of Munster's work and getting a kind of a look at Claremont and Harlequins as we're heading into that. Uh, into those big Champions Cup games. That's coming up on patreon.com forward slash 3 Red Kings for as little as two euro a month.